0: Alright, take your Bibles tonight and turn to Jude, right before Revelation, and um, like we did last week, uh, we're going to teach more than preach tonight, in fact it's not really preaching at all, and um, I hope I can give you some things tonight that maybe you hadn't thought of before, nothing is new under the sun, so it's not like I'm going to give you something new, but maybe something that you haven't heard before, uh, or something that you haven't thought of before. Um, in regard to angels. Well, let me go back just a little bit and kind of review what we've talked about up to this point, um, just to kind of remind you of where we are. Uh, I, I, I've been, I worked on this study for a while, and then I came across another really good source, another good book, and um, I really battled not putting too much in here, because we could get really deep into it, but I realized that this is not like a college course or something like that, so I'm not going to give you Everything that that um, we could about angels. Of course, there's so much uh, in there. The Bible gives us 108 occurrences of angels in the Old Testament and 165 occurrences in the New Testament. So there's a lot of times when angels came to Earth or uh, had some form of of uh, work that they were doing. Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we could talk about when it comes to angels. We're trying as much as we can to do a brief overview while giving you some good information at the same time. So uh, we talked about the origin of angels, and we said that they were created beings. God created angels, most likely after the first day of creation, once he created the heavens um, and the earth. The Bible says the earth was without form and void at that time, so nothing had been created yet um, other than, I believe, the angels. And so um uh, they were created for God's glory, we said. But then we talked about the nature and the attributes of angels, and that's what we spent a lot of the time last week on. We said they're innumerable, and the Bible talks about 10,000 times ten thousands and thousands of thousands, and it also uses the word innumerable to talk about the angels. Uh, they're not glorified human beings. Uh, we don't become angels when we die. I saw it again this week on Facebook. I don't know who posted it or where or whatever else, but I saw a thing that said, God, heaven gained another angel. No, heaven gained an individual if they were saved. Uh, The angels were created, and that's the only angels that were ever going to be created is when God did that, most likely on the first day of creation. But they're spiritual, and by that we mean that they're not flesh and bones. They can use bodies, and we see that happening many different times, especially throughout the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament where uh, they used bodies, but they were not created with them. And we said they're a company, not a race, and they're not able to reproduce. Um, We said they're smarter than man, but not omniscient. They're stronger than man, but not omnipotent. They are immortal. Uh, The Bible says in Luke chapter 20, and verse 36, neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels. So obviously, we are going to be like the angels um, in certain ways, but we're not going to be angels. We said that they are sexless and unmarriageable. We said that they're not omnipresent. They're personal. Meaning they're not just robots, they, they have a will, they have emotions, they, they have intelligence. Um, we said that they always appeared as men. Um, they appeared many times in the Bible, but every time they appeared in the Bible, they appeared as men. We saw them with, um, uh, with Abraham, we saw them with Lot, and we saw them in other situations, and every time they appeared as men in the Bible. So let's talk about this tonight. In fact, Brother Josh, you got those... Uh, uh, the outline forms up there, why don't you hand those out if you don't mind, and uh, kind of the same thing that I passed out on Wednesday night, just give one to everybody, um, it's just a blank outline, um, but you can kind of uh, take some notes if you want to, if, if you don't, that's fine as well, but uh, maybe some of these things you want to um, uh, write down some verses maybe and go back and look them up later, we're just, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read every verse, we just, there's not enough time to do that. Um, and, and actually get you out in a, in a timely fashion. So um, I'll mention it. Hey, this would be a good, a good chapter or a good section of verses to read. You can write those down and go back and read them later and maybe kind of do your own little study on them. But what I want to talk about tonight, at least starting off, and then we're going to move into a little bit of something else, um, but the fall of angels, the fall of angels. Now, there's a couple interesting things. Obviously, we know when Satan fell. We can read that in Ezekiel. Um, and we read other things that happened along the, at the same time. But what about the angels that fell with Satan? So, uh, first of all, we're just going to talk about the fact of their fall. And we know that, it, that it's a fact. It happened. Look at Jude 6. Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude. Uh, but verse number 6, the Bible says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, or under darkness, unto the judgment Of the great day. So obviously, they were not created as demons. They were not created to be fallen angels. They left their first estate and they left their own habitation. And because of that, the Bible says that He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now we see also, and, and uh, again, you can turn to any of these passages with me that you want to, you can write them down and go back and look at them later if you want to, but in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and he goes on and talks about then how much more would he do that for somebody who rejects Jesus Christ, um, but it, it very clearly says the angels that sinned, and then he cast them Uh, down to hell. So God created all angels as personal beings with an intellect, with emotions, with a will. We talked about that last week, but the angels were not confirmed or locked into this original state of holiness. Uh, They had the ability to make decisions of their own free will. Now, they didn't have Satan to come and tempt them. They didn't have Satan to come and try to pull them away. Now, obviously, they followed after him. uh, We're going to talk about Satan's original state um, and I want to do a whole study, like one maybe one night, one Sunday night, on Satan himself. Uh, but Satan, the Bible says, is an angel of light. He was probably one of the cherubim. I mean, that's a, that's a very elevated state. Um, but he became so elevated in his own mind that obviously that caused him to fall. So the only way that they could become confirmed in sinlessness was if they of their own volition or of their own will chose to remain loyal to God. If they chose to rebel against God, which many of them did, they would lose their sinlessness and then they would be confirmed or locked into that sinful state. They cannot, at this point, change their mind and come back and get saved and become good angels. Uh, They made that decision when they followed Satan and now their eternal destiny is settled. They are going to be under darkness, in chains, with the devil, in eternal punishment for all of eternity. Uh, and that was, the, that, that was the choice that they made. Satan had no tempter. Now let's talk about this. Let's talk about the time of their fall. When did the angels fall? We said that there was a great possibility, and, and more than likely they were created on the first day of creation. But when did they fall? When did Satan fall from heaven? We're given the story of his fall in Ezekiel chapter 28. Um, Now, it more than likely could not have been between Genesis 1, 1, and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. More than likely, that's when they were created, but they couldn't have fallen right after that, because after creation, God saw everything and said that it was what? Good. So if everything was good, then certainly the angels could not have been fallen at that point. Uh, Now, the next thing we see is the creation of man, and we're given that in Genesis chapter 2. And then Satan comes into the garden and tempts Eve. She sins. She gets Adam to sin. They're cursed and all of those other things. That happens uh, those other things. That happens in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but Ezekiel chapter 28 gives us a great indication that everything was perfect in the Garden of Eden. Um, the fall must have occurred somewhere between Genesis 1:31 and in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. In fact, let's go back to Genesis and look at this. I just want to show you a couple verses here. Um, so look, look, look back in Genesis chapter 1. And verse number 31. Now that's the very last verse of Genesis chapter 1. And just like we just mentioned, God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And then it goes into chapter 2. Chapter 2 and verse 4 gives us the creation of man and talks about that. Uh, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it, commanded him and gave him the command, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely free to eat, but not of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then obviously he, he, he creates Eve, verse 22, uh, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Uh, Obviously, God created woman at that time. And then in chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, or shall ye not eat of every tree of the garden? So somewhere between Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1, the fall of the angels happened. Now, we're not given the timing. We're given only Ezekiel 28 to show us that it actually happened. Uh, and we have the whole story there because that's when Satan, or Lucifer as he was known, the son of the morning, fell during that time. So it was during that interval of time between the end of creation and the fall of man that the angels fell. Now, How long was that interval? How long was Adam in the garden before God created Eve? How long was, were Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned? We're not given that. Uh, But the Bible says very clearly, verse 25, and they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. So obviously everything was sinless, at least for a time in the Garden of Eden. And then, right at the beginning of chapter 3, right after Eve was created, we're given the story of their fall. So somewhere, how long was that interval of time? We're not given that. We don't know how long that interval of time was. But you remember this, he gave Adam and Eve the command to be fruitful and multiply, right? Right? And before they had the opportunity to be fruitful and multiply, they fell. Because we're given this in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 and 28, that they were to be fruitful and multiply. But then in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, and Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. That was their first child. And nowhere in any of those chapters before that are we given the fact that they had any kids. So Cain and Abel, uh, we know, and then Seth, we know, those were their first children. So, God told them to be fruitful and multiply, and before they could even do that, they fell. So, the interval of time could not have been but so long between the time when everything was created and everything was good, God created Eve, and then Satan came in and they fell. So, how long was that? We're not given that. But it, it was not, unfortunately, it was not that long. Now, the only question is how long was Adam in the garden by himself before God created Eve? Because God told him to name all the animals and do all of those things, and then he was lonely. So, uh, I mean, it could have been years, it could have been months, uh, we don't know. The Bible does not tell us that, but somewhere between Genesis one thirty-one and Genesis 3.1, the angels fell, and then in Genesis 3.1, we're given the fact that, unfortunately, Adam and Eve sinned, and they fell as well. So what was the cause of their fall? Well, we're going to talk about this in quite some more detail when we talk about Satan, but it was pride, it was pride, and it was dissatisfaction. Satan, Lucifer, as he was called, wanted to be like God. And so he basically rose up against God and tried to overthrow him. I mean, the the thought to us is just unthinkable. How do you overthrow God? But Satan, in his pride, thought he could do that. And obviously, that's when he fell. So let's talk about the result of their fall then. Number one, those angels lost their original holiness. They were created to be perfect. They were created to be holy, just like man was created to be perfect. Right? In the Garden of Eden, they were perfect. They were sinless. And then they fell, and obviously they lost that original state. Um, some, and we've already read this, so I'm not going to go back and read them again, but we saw in Jude 6 and in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, that some of them were cast into hell to be held in chains. Well, it does say this um, in verse, uh, in verse number six of Jude, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So that means there are some of those that are in chains in utter darkness right now that are not released, that are not loosed to be on this earth and, and be part of Satan's band that is tempting people and causing people to fall and all of those other things. So how many? We're not, we're not told that. But there's a, a group of them, a handful of them, or maybe many more than that, that are actually in chains right now because they're in chains reserved unto the day of judgment, which obviously that has not happened yet. So, uh, but then some were left free to oppose the good angels. Turn over to Revelation chapter 12. I'm not going to have you turn to all of the passages, but some of them I think are a little bit more key and will be a little bit more helpful for us to look at than others. But in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 7, the Bible says this, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So that means that there are some that are loosed to oppose the good angels. Now, they cannot be saved. They're individually created. They have no federal head. And so those that didn't fall were confirmed in holiness. Those who fell will eventually be cast into the lake of fire. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse 21, it says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. And he was talking about something completely, completely different, but he gives us this indication that there, are, that there are elect angels, and those elect angels are the ones who chose not to follow Satan into that rebellion. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 25, and verse 41, It says, then shall he say also to them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for what? The devil and his angels. So uh, those who fell will eventually be cast into the lake of fire. Now, some are in chains right now. I believe we can establish that by Jude 6 and 2 Peter 2. Some will be cast into the lake of fire forever. When Satan meets his final destiny, they're going to go with him. So that's the fall of angels. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that When we get to talking about Satan. But let's talk about this. The rank or the designation of angels. By way of introduction, let me just give you a few things here. The Bible gives a lot of different designations for uh, beings in the angelic realm. If we can kind of sum them up that way. We're given the term principalities. We're given the term might. We're given the term powers, dominions, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, authorities, rule, and thrones. Those are the translations of the seven different Greek words that were given in the Bible for angels. Um, and there's, I can give you all the different New Testament passages, Romans 8, 38, 1 Corinthians 15, Ephesians, there's a bunch of different, um, uh, 1, 21, 2, 2, 3, 10, 6, 12, Colossians 1, 16, 2, 10, and 15, 1 Peter 3:22. So all of those terms are used in multiple places, but all the terms that are used fit into that, into that category of people. Seven, seven different Greek terms um, in those following categories. So it's, it's, it's difficult to determine whether those seven Greek terms refer to seven different ranks of angels, um, but a lot of scholars are convinced that at least some of the terms refer to different classes of angels, but maybe not necessarily seven. Um, and when we say classes, that they're actually in ranks, kind of like what we'd think of with the military, where you have a general, and then you have... Guys under him and guys under him and so on. Different ranks of angels. F.F. F. Bruce, he wrote a book on angels. He said this, In all, five classes of angel princes seem to be distinguished in the New Testament. Thrones, principalities, authorities, powers, and dominions. Now, again, when we think of angels, we just think of angels. Angels. But if you actually start studying through the different times that the word angels or something like that is used in the Bible, we get all of these different th- things: thrones, principalities, um, authorities, powers, and dominions. And he keep, he continues on. They probably represent the highest orders of the angelic realm. But the variety of ways in which the titles are combined in the New Testament warns us against the attempt to reconstruct a fixed hierarchy from them. So. Why does it matter? It doesn't to us, um, and that's why we sh- we're, not really out- we're not really attempting to distinguish what their hierarchy is, um, but we are definitely given, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, but we're definitely given the fact that some angels have more power than others, um, and some of them are even called by name. So it does appear that God created angels with different degrees of intelligence, with different degrees of power. Um, he established various ranks of angels. Uh, on the basis of these differences, and then he organized them according to rank, similar to the way that the armed forces are organized. Um, Again, it's kind of conjecture, because the Bible doesn't say, okay, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, here are the ranks of angels. It doesn't give us that. Uh, We just kind of had to pull those out from different studies and different passages and things like that. But one indication of this uh, organization and this structure is the fact that God is called the Lord of hosts 245 times in the Old Testament. And we got a lot of different passages where that's used, but the Hebrew word translated hosts means armies. So essentially, the Bible is saying that God is the Lord of armies. Now, obviously, that could mean that he is in charge of the army of Israel. He's in charge of all of the armies in the world and everything else. But when he says host, the Bible indicates that, that the angels constitute a powerful heavenly army or armies that carry out God's commands. And we see that in a lot of different passages as well. And if you want some of those passages, I have no problem giving them to you. I'm just not for the sake of time. Um, but they carry out God's commands. They serve as, uh, as his chariots. They're divided into legions. We see that in Matthew 26 and verse 53. When Jesus was on the cross, it says, Could he not call uh, you know, 12 legions of angels? Over 10,000 angels that he could have called to get him off of the cross. So, obviously there's armies of angels that could come and do God's bidding. Um, but in, in light of this, God's title, Lord of Armies or Lord of Hosts, indicates that he is the commander-in-chief of all of these angelic armies. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's, that's one indication um, that, these, that these angels are kind of organized by um, different degrees and different ranks and so on. But another indication that these angels are arranged according to rank as an army is the fact that some angels are under the command of other angels. And we see that when the angel Michael um, has angels under his command for the purpose of waging angelic warfare. And we just read that passage where the, Satan, with a lot of his demons, are fighting against Michael and a lot of his angels, Right? So obviously, Michael was put in command of all of those angels as they waged war. So again, uh, does it really matter? Maybe not. Um, but it's pretty interesting when you study through those things that there probably is ranks of angels and, um, and the way that they're organized in heaven. So let's talk then a little bit about the good angels. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time later talking about the bad angels. Um, so I'm going to talk about them tonight, but just briefly. But let's turn over to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, the good angels. Well, there's lots of different classes of angels, and, um, and, and this book that I came across that I was reading this week actually had a lot of different ranks of these angels as far as um, different jobs and things like that. I, I kind of try to simplify it a little bit more uh, to talk about some of these things. But number one, I think we have messenger angels. Um, In Genesis chapter 19, verse 13, you can write this passage down if you want to, but it says, For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. It's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's talking about Lot, and those were the angels that were talking to Lot in Sodom. The Lord hath sent us to destroy it. So here these guys, I say guys, these angels are before Lot giving them a message from God. God is going to destroy Sodom. And so essentially they're God's messenger angels. We see this in Daniel chapter 4 in verse number 13. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He goes on, but verse 23. And whereas the king saw a watcher and an holy one coming down from heaven and saying... Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. Well, obviously, this is when Nebuchadnezzar was getting his, um, uh, he had this dream, and obviously, Daniel was able to interpret that dream, and part of that interpretation meant that Nebuchadnezzar was going to go live in the field for seven years. But this was a messenger angel, said it came from heaven, that, was, that told him this dream. So I believe we have messenger angels, but then also the cherubim, the cherubim. And this is where we could get really, really deep with a lot of these things because there's a lot that's given to us, a lot that we can extract from the Bible as we study it. I try to keep it brief, but they're thought by some to be an order or a class of angels that um, um, others hold them to be a higher class of heavenly beings than angels because they're never actually called angels in the Bible. Uh, Now, they have a lot of the same characteristics of angels, but nowhere in the Bible does it actually call them angels. They're always called cherubim. And they seem to have the closest relationship with God. Lucifer was actually a cherubim. we're given that in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse number 14. Uh, And again, that's why I say that they had the closest relationship. Lucifer was basically, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but Lucifer was basically next in line to God. He was the second in command. I mean, obviously, God is in, in control of all of heaven, but that's one of the reasons why Lucifer thought that he could take over. He wanted to be God because, well, there's only one person in front of me, and I can certainly take him, you know, and that's where Lucifer came in and why he ended up falling, but he was a cherub. Um, their purpose, the, the cherubim, so cherub is singular, cherubim is plural. We hear both of those terms, one cherub or two or more cherubim. Uh, But their purpose is to proclaim and protect God's glorious presence, Uh, protect his sovereignty, protect his holiness. And we have a couple passages that I'll read to you. Psalm 18 and verse number nine, he bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet and he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yet, uh, yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. Pretty interesting. Uh, Psalm 80 in verse 1: Give ear, O Shepherd of Israel, Thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, Thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. So they are to be the proclaimers and protectors of God's glorious presence, His sovereignty, and His holiness. But they also stood guard at the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because of their sin? Um, Eden was a perfect place, and they were driven out of the garden because they were no longer sinless. That was where God met with them. God walked with Adam, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. They were driven out of the garden and, we're told this in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 24, So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So this tree of life that was in the garden of Eden, there was something special about it. And now they were no longer able to even see it, and so God drove them out of the Garden of Eden, and he placed cherubim with flaming swords at the entrance to keep them from ever coming into Eden again. Well, turn over to Exodus chapter 25, because we're given another thing that these cherubim did. Their golden figures covered the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant, and we're talking about the tabernacle on Wednesday nights. We're going to get to the Ark of the Covenant, and I'm going to show you a picture of basically the way that the Bible describes what the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to look like. And many artists have not only drawn pictures, but they've actually recreated what they think the Ark of the Covenant looked like based on the dimensions and everything else that were given in the Bible. Uh, But at the top of the mercy seat where God dwelt were the cherubims. And it's told in Exodus 25 and verse number 17, And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. And a cubit and a half, the breadth thereof. By the way, do you know how long a cubit is? About 18 inches. So we think, and and maybe I'm the only one, but I think we've all done this at some point. To me, I always kind of pictured the Ark of the Covenant being this really big thing that they could walk into and everything else. It was not. Look what the dimensions are are on this. Um, It says that the length was two cubits and a half. That means it was 36 inches plus 9. What is that? 45 inches long. That's not very long. 45 inches long, and it says a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. 27 inches wide. This is not a big piece, which if you think about it, what was inside the Ark of the Covenant? Do you remember? Ten Commandments. Manna. Aaron's rod that budded. And that's basically all that could possibly fit in there. Because there was not a lot of room inside the Ark of the Covenant, right? It was actually a very, very small thing. Anyway, we're going to get to that on Wednesday nights. But verse 18, "...thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them, in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings." And their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee. And I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of testimony. Of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So this is a very special thing. These cherubims, their golden figures, covered the mercy seat above the ark of the covenant, Uh, but their designs also graced the walls and the veils of the tabernacle and later in the temple, and we're told that in Exodus chapter 26, so for sake of time, we won't read that, but they they were told that the cherubims were supposed to be these golden cherubs that would be on the inside of the tabernacle and later on the inside of the temple. So that's the cherubim, a very special class of angels, if you will, but then you also have, and you'll recognize this term, the seraphim, right? One seraph. Two or more seraphim, same thing with cherub and cherubim. So we always talk about the cherubim and the seraphim, those are plural. But their name literally means a burning one. And if you look in Isaiah chapter 6, Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And the angels that gather on the throne sing holy, holy, holy. That's that passage in Isaiah chapter 6. But these angels dwell so close in the presence of God that they burn with a holy brilliance. And I believe we can say that based on what Isaiah chapter 6 says tells us, but their work was to praise and to proclaim the perfect holiness of God. They're six-winged figures. The Bible says, with twain they covered their face, with twain they covered their feet, and with twain they did fly. So they have six wings each, and they <clears throat> were given that in Isaiah's vision. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, in verse number 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That's the seraphim. Here's another class of angel, if you will, um, that are part of the good angels, and that would be the archangel. Turn to Jude, back to Jude, and we're going to look at verse number nine. Michael, the name Michael means who is like unto God. That's a pretty high distinction. But he's the only one that's mentioned as an archangel. The term archangel actually only appears two times in the Bible. Jude 9 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. Jude 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Isn't that interesting? I wonder what they were disputing. You know What happened to the body of Moses, by the way? God buried it. But he didn't tell anybody where he buried him. So why are they fighting over the body of Moses? doesn't say. But it says, he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. So Michael, the archangel, this is one of the times that the term archangel is actually used and gives Michael that distinction. Uh, he didn't bring a railing accusation against Satan. I don't know why, but he rebuked him in the name of the Lord. And then we're told this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So we're we're given that term twice. Archangel. Michael is given that designation. But he's also called the great prince who watched over Israel. I'm not going to take the time to go into that, but you can see that in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 21, and in Daniel chapter 12 in verse one. If you want to write those verses down and go back and look at that later, that might be a little bit of an interesting study. But he's also mentioned in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number seven, as a head angel. Turn over there, and we'll look at this passage together. You're not too far from there if you're in Jude, um, but J- Revelation 12 in verse number seven, and we looked at this already. But it says, and there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So, Michael is leading all of these angels. Uh, And another angel, give me another angel that you know by name, Gabriel, and he's pretty much the only other angel that's actually named in the Bible. So, Gabriel is never called an archangel, um, but a lot of scholars believe that he is one based on his, um, his characteristics and everything else, but... Um if you look at their specific roles in the Bible it sure seems that Michael as an archangel and we know that for sure is a prote- is a protecting and fighting angel and Gabriel is actually the heralding or announcing angel. Uh Gabriel is the angel that came to Mary to announce the fact that she was going to give birth to Jesus, right? And we see some other things that he did in the Bible as well, but everything that he did was as kind of a messenger angel or an announcing angel. Um each of them has his own job description that carries out God's will in perfection, um, but many actually believe that even though he's not mentioned as an archangel, that's what Gabriel actually is as well. But then we see another one, and that is the chief princes. Chief princes. Michael was one of the chief princes. Whether he was an archangel or not, he was definitely one of the chief princes. We're given that in Daniel chapter 10 and verse number 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Below Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. Now, that is another verse that actually lends credence to the fact that the angels are in uh, categories or in ranks uh, because they calls him very clearly a chief prince, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the scholars actually label him as an archangel as well. But um, he was the angel sent to explain the visions to Daniel as well. Uh, We see that in Daniel chapter 8 and in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, and it says this in Daniel chapter 9, verse number 21, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. So, here again, Gabriel is bringing this message to, to uh, Daniel. He did the same thing in Daniel chapter 8. Um, he also made the announcements to Zacharias that John the Baptist was going to be born. He made the announcement to Mary that Jesus was going to be born. So, Daniel. Uh, Gabriel, as one of these chief princes, more than likely, also as an archangel, has this classification. Uh, Now, here's another one that's actually really interesting, and we'll end with this one tonight. But turn over to Genesis chapter 16, because we also have the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. That term is used quite a few different times, especially in the Old Testament. In fact, I don't even know if it's used at all in the New Testament. Um, I, I don't think it is. I could be wrong. It might be used once or twice, but I don't think it's used in the New Testament. I believe it's only in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, there's this angel that materializes from time to time, uh, that seems to be different from all of the other angels that we've studied up to this point. Uh, and the name that was given to him. there's a couple different ways that that this name is used, but the angel of God or the angel of the Lord. And when you see, Lord, it's all in capitalized letters, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. And that is the term Yahweh, which is God's personal name. Um, it's not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. And that's how you always see that. Now, because there is other times when it says, and an angel of the Lord came and did some of these things that we've talked about, like messengers or whatever else, guardian angels. We see, we've see, we seen that as well. Um, but... This one is the angel of the Lord. This angel is more powerful than Michael, more knowledgeable than Gabriel. He has characteristics that are divine, um, meaning just like God. And if you look throughout the Old Testament and look at all these references where this is used, um, it, it, re- it, it, it gives you the realization that he's not actually just an angelic creature of God, but he is he's a divine um, being speaking as God. Um, an angel who seems to speak as the Lord himself. Look at Genesis chapter 16. We see a lot of different places in the Old Testament where this is used, but this is one in particular. Genesis chapter 16 and verse number 10. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly that it shall not be numbered for multitude. This is, by the way, the story of Hagar. Uh, Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy afflictions. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Now... I don't think there's any doubt that we can say that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, and that's a term that you've probably heard before, but the term pre-incarnate Christ means an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Now, obviously, Jesus Christ came incarnate. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, came to this earth, we know the whole story of, of Mary and Joseph and, and the, the birth of Christ and obviously his whole life and everything. We see that all the way throughout the Gospels. But the pre-incarnate Christ, in other words, the times that Jesus Christ actually came to this earth before he came to this earth to live as a man, he came and spent time on this earth to give messages, to, uh, to, you know, to do things like this as the angel of the Lord. And there's lots of evidence of this fact, but for the sake of time, we'll sum it up like this. The angel of the Lord was no other um, than Logos. We see that in, Gen- in John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word, Word, is Logos, L-O-G-O-S, and that is the term for Jesus Christ. It means Jesus Christ, um, but it was not only was with god but he was god and in jesus christ the bible says that he was made flesh he came unto his own the bible says and his own received him not the only begotten son of god he was sent by the father into the world who though one with the father prayed to the father and so he's not god um right don't take that the wrong way he's not god the father because the bible says no man hath seen god at any time so the angel of the lord was not god himself he was jesus christ as god pre-incarnate and so i know it's 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 something that's very confusing for us because we can't comprehend how can you be god the father god the son god the holy spirit how can you be god and man at the same time and all of those things it does not make sense to us but even though no man has seen god in a sense we have seen god because jesus christ came to this earth he came in all these different forms as the pre-incarnate christ the angel of the lord was different than all of the other angels because he was not necessarily an angel he was the pre-incarnate Christ. He was speaking with the authority of God because he was God. And so, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a even though we see it as the angel of the Lord, it is God. It's Jesus Christ, God the Son, that had come to these different people in different times throughout the Old Testament before he came to live among men. We'll talk about the, in fact, let me just do this real quick because there's not a lot. Evil angels, we talked about the good ones, we'll talk about the evil ones, and I'm going to save the rest of it, uh, because there's not much, but I, I want to talk a lot more about these, but I want to give it to you in general first. So first of all, we're, there's basically two categories, we have demons and we have Satan, these are the evil angels, there's 80 references in the Bible to demons, They're, every New Testament writer mentions them, um, not necessarily as the term demons, but as basically evil angels in some, in some form. Um, they're angels that are kept in prison. I'm, I'm going through this quickly because we've already talked about these. We, we read 2 Peter 2. We read Jude 6, that they're kept in prison. There's also angels that are free. We read those as well. And they are part of Satan's minions um, they wore in heaven. Um, uh, verse number 9 of Revelation chapter 12 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, and then Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, 38 says, For I am persuaded that, uh, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God. So obviously there are angels that are living on this earth that are trying to separate us from the love of God. And he says not even an angel can do that. Um, their characteristics are given in the Bible, and we have a lot of different passage, passages for that, but they're consumed with death. They're powerful, they're self-mutilating, they're knowledgeable, they promote cultism and false doctrines. We have a lot of different passages for that, and like I mentioned, I'm actually going to take some time to go through all of those things, because one of the questions that I want to answer is, can a Bible, or I say Bible-believing Christian, but can a Christian um, be demon-possessed? Is that a possibility? Um, Because there's, there's something to consider there, all right? Saul... Was he saved or not? There's a lot of people who go back and forth on that. Was Saul saved or was he not saved? Because the Bible says that God sent an evil spirit to Saul, right? God sent an evil spirit. So there's a lot of questions that we can answer with that. I'm not going to get into it tonight. I'll just sweat your appetite with that. But the evil angels, the demons, and Satan. And I just wanted to cover that because we are going to cover it later, but that's we're going to continue on a little bit before we get to that point. Next week. Uh, when we get back together, we'll talk about the work of angels and what they do, how they how their work on earth involves us and uh, what they what they accomplish. So we'll leave it at that tonight. All right, let's pray, and then we'll be done. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for everything that we're given in your word, and I know we cover these things quickly, but I pray that you'd help us to understand these things and, and know what we believe about these things and to gain some knowledge about the Word of God. I pray that you'd help us to study the Bible, uh, to gain the knowledge that you want us to have. And God, I pray that you would be pleased with everything that we do in our lives. I pray that you'd help us as we go from here this week to be witnesses for you, and that uh, we would be, live the way that Christians ought to live that will draw men to you. Thank you for everything that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.